of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. Today is Tuesday, May the 13th, otherwise known as the day and morning of Jose Fernandez. As uh, we unfortunately learned, he is done for at least 12 months. Uh, you know, I hope you're doing better than in Jose Fernandez's. Oh, man. I mean, my elbow still works, but uh, I do have one team that was very happy to have him. I, I guess uh, I'm just happy I don't have... You know, I don't, I don't spend a lot on pitchers, so... This was the year that you were going to spend a lot on Fernandez because he was young and, you know, everything was going to be fine at least this year, right? You would think so. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work out that way. One thing I did notice just looking backwards at Fernandez before we look forward was that he threw the most curves in baseball this year and had the best whiff rate on those curves. So, you know, there's been... It's not the most robust finding. The, you know, Zimmerman found that DL percentages go up if you use the curveball more than 30% of the time. Um, it's not the most robust finding in that it's, you know, DL percentage goes up from like 39 to 45 or 46% or something. Uh-huh. But it is there. And, you know, I've talked to some pitchers, college pitchers that, you know, no longer pitch because of certain injuries. And, yeah, they say, one said, you know, I used to have a pretty good curveball. I, I hurt my shoulder in college, and now anytime I even if I just show you what a curveball looks like, I feel it in my shoulder. So I think there is some, you know, there is something to the way that you yank down on the curveball and the way that you sort of flip the slider that puts stress on different parts of your body. And I know there are some mechanics people out there that say, well, if you do it right, there isn't stress. But, you know, we've seen Fernandez kind of struggle with his mechanics to some degree here or there. So maybe it's a combination of the two. And, you know, we can't say that we knew it was coming. But uh, yeah, The only thing I can say you knew it was coming in within the last game, if you go back and look at his pitch FX data from his last start against the Padres, there is a definitive moment in that game where all of a sudden his stuff drops off the table. And not like his curveball. We're talking like velocity. All of a sudden it's upper 90s to low 90s. And it, you know, maybe you would look at it and say, oh, this is a game where he was you know, pitching with a lead. Now, he was down 7-1, and he comes out in the fifth inning, and all of a sudden he's working low 90s, and there's a noticeable drop-off. But that's it. That's, I guess that would be the frustrating thing if you were Jose Fernandez owner, in that there was really no other marker that you could look at and say, uh-oh, I'm worried. Should I have sold, you know, should I have done something differently why did I turn down these trades? I mean, you look at the numbers, you're like, yeah, there's no way I was going to trade this guy. He was just dominating everything. There, there wasn't this huge mark. There wasn't this definitive pitch or anything. I think even Zimmerman was saying that maybe he noticed something on his last at bat. And believe me, I would love to blame a pitcher injury on getting on something they did at the plate rather than the mound. But he said he, he didn't like what he saw in the last swing. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's when he first started feeling the discomfort in this situation, but it is, it's just a, a terrible thing. I'm tired of having these guys hurt like this and, uh, and us missing out on the, on the best talent out there. But this is, uh, I mean, they had word earlier today that that's what the situation is. So he's done. Well, the, the, the only thing I would say is that this curveball usage thing is, is, is on my mind a little bit. I, I looked at last year's uh, best curveballs 
and I and I pushed the the minimums um, all the way as high as I could basically. So I, I 500 curveballs thrown. So you basically get the guys who throw a ton of curveballs, and then I ranked them by whiff rate. Number one was Ivan Nova, uh, Tommy John. Yeah. Two was Doug Fister, uh, whatever his problem was. Uh, number three was Jose Fernandez. Number four was Adam Wainwright. Um, I forget who number five was, but it was another Tommy John surgery. So, you know, that, it's not definitive, but it's kind of like. And then the, the other flip side is that curveballs don't really have uh, big platoon splits. Right. So if you had a guy who was a fastball curve like Pomerantz or something, right, you might you might say, well, I'll give him an allowance that he doesn't have a changeup because the curveball, you know, like Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray pretty much starts with the fastball curveball, doesn't really have a good change. And um, and we give him allowances for that because yeah, and you know because it's because it's a good curveball and it doesn't have platoon splits. But you know the flip side of that is there might be more of an injury risk. So it might be uh, a thing to think about with every pitcher. But I think I would love to have a young pitcher with a great changeup and um, and velocity. And I think you know like a young Cole Hamels mm-hmm. would make me feel most at ease. I mean. I'd... When you look at different guys, I mean, we could put Jeremy Hellickson on that from a guy who throws a curveball is currently out with the uh, the elbow stuff he had done in the offseason. It wasn't season-ending, but he had elbow surgery. Then you look at somebody like, okay, what about all these sliders that Chris Archer's throwing? What about all the breaking balls um, that Alex Cobb's throwing? I'm just thinking locally uh, yeah. as all these guys. I mean, Alex Cobb had a oblique injury that he suffered while batting, uh, which is another reason why I'm bitter at, uh, at, at that kind of thing. Uh, but all those guys that are happening. But let's get into pitch types and think because you wrote an article today that talked about uh, using pitch type whiff rates to find some guys to pick up off the waiver wire. Uh, and the first guy was somebody that pitched re- pitched on Sunday. The numbers didn't play it out, but he looked better. And talking to a few people that watched this game, he just got really crippled by some bad defensive plays around him. Uh, and this is Romanus Elias who's throwing his curveball 14, uh, getting a 14.2% whiff rate on his curveball, which you note is the ninth most whiffs on curves this year. Yeah, I mean, he had a really good start in the against the Yankees. Uh-huh. And, you know, based on that start, I, I really liked what I saw. There's some command issues because he has, he's in the past, he's had multiple arm slots. And the team had to tell him to to kind of pick one. Um, so I guess there's some risk that he has a bad year, a bad game, sort of like the one he had against Miami, where he walked five and struck out five and and gave up uh, four earned runs in, in fewer than six innings. But other than that game, he's struck out more than twice the amount uh, the, the guys he's walked. Uh, he hasn't really shown a, a bad. Um, uh, walk rate, and because his change is, is pretty good, uh, not great, but it's pretty good. I, I and he has such an interesting arm slot, and I, I think that he's actually one of the better pickups on my list today. I mean, I, I prefer him over Yusmero Petit, who has uh, a whiff rate that's almost twice his on the curveball, but and, and it's it's a great find for the Giants, and I, I think that Petit is going to you know help them out a lot this year with how how many starters a team teams need and all that. Yeah, he's a very valuable, I mean, Petit's a very valuable guy because they can keep him around the bullpen as a long guy or he can throw into the rotation. It, it's always been, every time I see his name, I can't help but 
remember the the story a long time ago that talked about him going down to the American Medical Sports Institute in Birmingham, and they hooked up all these sensors to him and figured out he had the second most deceptive pitching delivery in baseball, and that's why he was getting these high strikeout results in the minor leagues, despite the fact he didn't have good velocity. It's just he had such deception, and it was really tough to pick the ball up out of his hands. And here he is still hanging around five, this was I think five or six years ago. Here he is still hanging around on the fringes, but still getting strikeouts and swings and misses, despite that he doesn't have the, the, the kind of top shelf stuff you would typically associate with the strikeouts he gets. Yeah, it is interesting. And it doesn't have a great fastball either. So I think that leads to the homer issues in the past. But he's in a perfect place for this, for, for having homer issues. And... You know, he has a pretty decent changeup. So, you know, if if there's something that he's doing right, I would I would take him in good situations. Elias is is the kind of guy that I would maybe prefer if I had to stick him in there every week, um, just because he's young. The, the 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 league hasn't seen him that often, and you know he hasn't shown the problems that uh, Petit has shown in the past, but. If I could play matchups or you know put them in daily or whatever, I like Petit's you know upside in in a, you know one game situation a lot better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Wandy Rodriguez is a name you list because he's getting uh, nearly sixty percent whiff rate, sixteen not sixty, sixteen uh, percent whiff rate on his curveball. Uh, for me, it just it's the risk associated with him. He's not a guy that's very durable. He's missed a lot of time last year. Hasn't looked quite right this year but he's getting results on the curveball yeah everything's everything's down for him and you know 16 percent on a curveball is good but as you know the curveball averages around 11 percent it's it's good but not great not like the other guys i i listed him more as a deep league guy i don't think you know the sinker's pretty bad the change has never never been any good you know he has a nice home park he he, he plays some bad offenses i think there'll be some starts here or there where it's worth remembering that he's alive. <laughs> uh, moving on to change-ups, we have Danny Salazar right at the top, and it really shouldn't be terribly surprising. Uh, 25.5% whiff rate on the change-up. For the most part, his starts have still been disappointing, uh, and that's been the problem. When he gets ahead, he uses that change-up. He's getting the swings and misses. He had the really good start against the Giants, but that's pretty much been it for him. Uh, the good news is that pretty much makes him available on the on the waiver wire. He is uh, there's I know I I've, I've gotten plenty of tweets. Should I hold on to Salazar? Who should I keep out of these three? And when you look at those names, I've been saying, yep, Salazar is the guy you got to cut. I can't recommend you cutting the other guys, but there's been a few times where I've had to look at those lists and say, yeah, Salazar's the guy you have to cut. Yeah, there was definitely I, I put him on there for the the more shallow leagues because he's he's out there. I feel like him. Um, you know, uh, Homer Bailey, Francisco Liriano, Corey Kluber. Those are all guys that showed up on my list for various reasons. They showed up, you know, before the season a lot of times too. You know, if you're in a shallow enough league where one of those guys is out there, then I don't think that you hurt too badly from the Fernandez thing. I know Fernandez was dominant, but uh, Homer Bailey could turn in something pretty close to that. And if Danny Salazar just figures out, you know, either his sequencing also, you know, he has a little bit of trouble keeping the ball down. It's something he, he mentioned to me when, when I interviewed him. You know, both of those things lead to homers. And that's, if you look across his line, that's his basic problem is the, is the homers. So, yes. 
Um, you know, if he can just find a way, that, that, we haven't proven that to be a, a very sticky stat that, you know, the pitchers have a ton of control over their home run rates. So, uh, and it's usually something that takes a long time to figure out. It's something you find out, you know, in a, in a pitcher's like 10th year or something. So I don't necessarily believe that he's going to have a homer problem his whole career. And if it's sequencing, then, you know, it could just be a sit down between him and his catcher or, or even a good game like one against uh, the Giants where he has a little bit more trust in a slider or he thinks he can throw his fastball low and away, you know, in the count where, you know, he's supposed to throw something else. So, I, I, you know, sometimes it's confidence, sometimes it's pitch sequencing. I think stuff is there, and so I'm happy about that. And the next guy on the list for changeup was really surprising to me was Robbie Erlin because I think of him as a guy – Erlin's best pitch this year has been his changeup. So, hold on a second. Robbie Erlin is on this list for changeups because when I think of Robbie Erlin, I think of curveballs. And he's got that big yacker, but he has uh, an even better changeup. And, you know, when I look at his line, I see uh, an average curveball in terms of peripherals. It gets a decent ground ball rate, um, you know, okay whiffs. Uh, and he gets actually gets 65% ground balls on the curveball. So that seems like a good pitch for gr- for grounders. The changeup gets 24% whiff rate. That's great. Uh, average is 15%. So you have these two pitches. His, his, his fastball isn't a nothing fastball. He's got good command. And then I look at his projections, and I couldn't figure out why the projections were um, – and I couldn't even figure out why his numbers right now are so pedestrian. So it's uh, – he's a little bit of an enigma for me, I guess – just because the projections and his current numbers line up so perfectly to be like a four a four ERA guy, I guess I can't say he's necessarily a mixed leaguer, but I definitely think he's a mixed league spot starter. I think the matchup against the Marlins the other day definitely helped him uh, out. That was in, in doing the daily fantasy stuff. Uh, ESPN I recommended pick him up because the Marlins are just so bad on the road, and it works. I mean, he threw seven uh, scoreless innings uh, against the Marlins, so it was, it, that's a guy. He's still he's a matchup play for me still, but it's really working out for him. And another matchup guy would be somebody like Josh Colmenter, who's getting whiffs on his changeup twenty four percent of the time. I mean the the changeup a combination of the changeup and the delivery uh, has his changeup getting the the fourteenth highest whiff rate in the big leagues this year. It's a big deception, a deceptive delivery, and he throws a cutter as his regular fastball, so maybe. It's not so important that his curveball sucks. Maybe he can be a two-pitch starter because the cutter breaks one way and the changeup breaks another way. It's um, It would be an unconventional two-pitch starter, and it hasn't really worked in the past, and it's led to homers, and he, he, he plays in a homer-happy park. So there's a lot of questions with Cole Mentor. It's kind of the reverse of Erlen, where at least Erlen goes home and, and has a nice – home park, whereas Cole Mentor, you kind of want to use on the road. But if you picked up both of those guys and just, you know, alternate them home and away, you might you might get, like, 70% of Fernandez, and it won't cost you anything. Like, buying Salazar in a trade or Bailey in a trade will cost you something, but you know, picking up Erlin and Cole Mentor won't, pick, won't cost you anything except for the roster spots. Yeah, and then looking over the other uh, moving over to sliders, two guys that were pretty much undrafted. I, I would uh, say Tom Calder and Aaron Harang are the top two guys on whiff rates on the sliders, Calder being the higher of the two, with a 24.5 whiff rate 
on that. The thing is, it's what it's his it's his moneymaker because everything else of his is just there. It's not even a they're all below average pitches, but the slider's getting whiff rates when he's able to use it, but it's pretty much all he has. Yeah, I hope to talk to him today because I mean, were you talking color or harangue? Color. Oh. Yeah, he gets 80% grounders on the changeup. That's that's not nothing. That's interesting. It's sort of the uh, kind of a reverse Robbie Erland situation where he uses the changeup for grounders and Erland uses the changeup for whiffs. So, uh, I don't... I mean, I'm, I'm really more talking about, like, strikeouts. Like, if that's what he has yeah. to get his strikeouts with. Yeah, yeah it's he, not something else. He doesn't have, like, okay, my slider's not working today. I'm going to go out there and get strikeouts with my changeup. Nope. No, no, no. And that's why he's his upside is, is lower, I think. Um, Erland does get some whiffs on the curveball, but... Uh, his uh, curlers change his 8% whiffs. That's half the regular rate. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, then you look at his regular line and he's striking out, you know, five per nine or something. So I think Kohler is also a deep league guy. And even in a deep league, I'd want to be a little bit careful about how I use him. And same thing with Harang. You mentioned you're going to go down and talk to him today since you're at the San Francisco-Atlanta game. Uh He's had a bit of a rough patch, got pounded by the Marlins in that game where they said they were stealing signs, or that series is that they were stealing signs. Bounced back a little bit his last time out, uh, but the strikeout-to-walk ratio is still strong, and he's getting nice swings and misses on the slider um, the way that's going. But across the board, he seems to be doing better, so maybe this is more than just smoke and mirrors, and maybe he's... Uh, I know a lot of people are thinking, okay, time to cut bait. I got my best my best effort at, at Aaron Harang. Let's let him go. What do you think? I really want to talk to him. The I did I couldn't see anything. I mean, I always feel better if I go if I go in and say, you know, okay, I've noticed that you started throwing this pitch or you changed this or changed this. You've got velocity somewhere. I don't see any of that with Harang. I don't see any added velocity. I don't really see. I looked at the horizontal movement. There was a little bit of difference in horizontal movement, but it went right back to normal after one start, so I think it might be a, a calibration issue. And so, uh, you know, I don't really have anything on my table. So to me, the question will be, what are you doing different? I mean, there's got to be something different. I mean, the one thing that we talk about sometimes is that strikeouts minus walks are a great in-season predictor. Those are He's got the strikeouts all of a sudden. And out of nowhere. And the whiff rate is there. And I have no idea what he's doing. So it could maybe just be that he's run into some good matchups at the beginning of the season. He is in the National League. He is in uh, a division that has some, some iffy lineups. So that, that could be it. But uh, I'd love to hear what he has to say. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what his thoughts are uh, when he chimes in on that and see what's, uh, see what's going on. Because it's, it's been a surprise. Um, a couple of buy low candidates uh, or maybe still flying under the radar a little bit. Homer Bailey has to be on that list. Out of nowhere, Homer Bailey has his best start of the season against the Colorado Rockies, who nobody has really been able to get out. I don't care if they are on the road. They've still been putting a, a pretty good lineup up. In fact, going into that series, they had the sixth-best team weighted on base average uh, as, as far as teams hitting on the road. Yes, it was well below what they do at home, but it was still good for a road team. And Bailey shut them down. And we're looking at a guy whose whiff rate on his curve is changing his slider are above league average. And this is, again, this was my guy for the Cy Young in the NL. That, that's not going to happen. But if, if he can bottle up what he did in that Colorado start and take that going forward, he still has a chance to put up some decent value this year. Yeah, I think 
I, th- I see nothing wrong with him. I mean, I everything's above average and comfortably above average. I guess the slider is average, but when you have a, a curve that's comfortably above average and a change that's you know sort of a top ten type change, I don't I don't see. I, I, and the the velocity kept the velocity. I don't I don't. There's no reason I wouldn't buy on Homer Bailey. I say the same thing with Corey Kluber because I know a few of his starts early on weren't that hot. He was kind of victimized by bad weather a couple of times that kind of knocked in his schedule, but he had that dominating start against the White Sox. I saw him Friday night against Tampa Bay uh, and had really good stuff. And the curveball, the change in the slider, all are above league average on whiff rates. Uh, it, the movement on his breaking ball is really filthy right now. He's locating his fastball very well. You mentioned in your notes that his batting average and balls in play is above 360 right now. That just doesn't mesh up with a guy getting these kind of swing and miss rates on his pitches. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to do about the bad fastball guys. I mean, he, you throw the fastball more than anything, and if you have a iffy fastball, and I think I think we, you could describe his fastball as iffy. I mean, it, it doesn't. Uh, I think it averages around ninety ninety one or something, and it, it's it's been a problem for him in his career. And he's tried to go to the two seamer. I, you know, I interviewed him about this, and he tried to go to the two seamer because the four seamer wasn't working for him. But even the two-seamer is just meh. It's not, you know, I think it gets like 45% ground balls or maybe 50% ground balls, which is the average for a two-seamer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get many whiffs. So I think there's a bit of a bad fastball thing going on there. And maybe uh, certain teams, maybe patient teams get into fastball counts with him. And then he feels like he has to throw the fastball. And I wonder if, if he has, you know, I saw that the ball rate on his cutter is pretty good. Maybe if he took a little bit more of a Jesse Chavez type approach and used the cutter and fastball counts, he could uh, he could he could make a sort of a change for the better. But as it is, I think even if he stays the way he is, there's no way you can predict a 360 bat of the rest of the season. Right. I mean, so- it's already started. Here's what's kind of weird for him: the last four starts for him, he is uh, he's won two of them. He's two and one with a 191 ERA and a 106 WHIP. Despite the fact he has a 343 batting average and balls in play, despite the fact he has struck out one of every three batters he's faced, that I mean the strikeout rate is strong. The walk rate's five percent. He's allowed one home run and 115 batters faced. He's only allowed three extra base hits in his last 105 at bats against pitch uh, against batters. Two doubles and a home run. It's been tough to elevate this guy. He's getting the strikeouts. But because of all of the ground balls, the way uh, the way that's going for him, that's one of the reasons why the batting average and balls in play is high because the guys aren't elevating it and there aren't enough, you know, the the fly balls aren't happening as much. So we know that fly balls have the lowest percentage of becoming hits, but between fly balls and ground balls, ground balls have a very good percentage of chance uh, of getting uh, becoming hits, and that's uh, really what's happening with him. And also, you know, to some extent, a bad defense behind him. I mean one of the worst defenses in the league. Yes, they so. have they have played bad defense and I saw some of that during that series, but that is that's kind of where things are going. If you look at his bat during this stretch, he's had 40 ground balls, 14 line drives and 12 flag balls and two yeah. pop-ups. Uh, so that's where it, that's where his numbers have been. So I've been impressed. The numbers play it out. The batting average and balls in play. If that would just be, you know, normally when guys are putting up this kind of strikeout rate and everything, uh, and their and the opponents are hitting what they are against them. Normally, they have these uh, just tremendous numbers. 
The league's only hitting 229 against him in this stretch, and that's with a 343 batting average and balls in play. If he had a 240 batting average and balls in play, he'd probably be like Johnny Cueto right about now. I mean, the impressive thing is just three extra base hits over his last four starts. That's rather sick. Uh, and then looking at a couple uh, of, of other numbers, Francisco Liriano, he, you know, he's back to where he normally is. The slider and the changeup, the whiff rates are well above uh, league average. I mean, 19% on the slider for uh, Liriano, 23% on the changeup. Uh, velocity's coming back up. That's good news. It's just that when's he going to get hurt? With, every, with all these other pitchers dropping like flies, you can't tell me that a guy with the injury risk of Liriano is going to be able to stay healthy. No, yeah. That's why I, I wouldn't pay too much for him. But um, at this point, you, the guy that you banked on to be healthy is not healthy. <laughs> so, so why not try someone who everyone banks on not being healthy? Maybe he'll be healthy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go ahead. The, the one nice thing about Liriano is that his his velocity's back up. He was he was sitting around ninety two, ninety three to begin the season, and his last start it was above ninety four, um, which is closer to where he was last year. So. Um, you know, maybe the, maybe the groin had something to do with it. And, um, you know, maybe he's just naturally getting a little more velocity as he goes, but actually he was at 94, seven in his last start. So, uh, I like him. I like him um, more than what he's doing right now. And, um, I think he's got a good defense behind him and taking advantage of all his ground balls. Um, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I'd, uh, I, I'd, I'd sell something for him. I mean, if, if I could get Koikel, uh, Dallas Keuchel off of the the waiver wire, you know, just dropping my worst player. Maybe I'd do that just because I believe in what Keuchel's doing. That's uh, what I was going to bring up with 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 him because I have him. He's been saving my skin in my my home my AL home league. I picked him up out of desperation, and uh, it it's been working, been yeah. working for me very well. Yeah, the slider change combo, you know, is all he needs, and the fastball isn't terrible, so. He's got he's he's got the modern the modern arsenal, <clears throat> and he doesn't have. I mean, his home park isn't great, but he doesn't have the the same problems that Jorge De La Rosa has. The last guy on my list, just uh-huh. because De La Rosa's second best pitch is his curve, and uh, he can't. From what I've talked to with all the pitchers out there, you can't throw curves in 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 Colorado. So you cannot change the laws of physics, right? And that so that leaves him. Uh, with a splitter and cutter and, and no real and the cutter is about a ten percent whiff cutter so it's it's okay but it's not a, it's not as good as a slider so uh, you know if it's Jorge De La Rosa for free or giving up a player for Liriano I might actually give up a player for Liriano. Yes, I mean when you look at Liriano's overall numbers uh, right now, his ERA is four sixty four, his WHIP is one forty five. He's still striking out a batter per inning, but those kind of numbers could you look at somebody you could kind of kick the tires on him and somebody would be like, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll make a trade for him. This is kind of the thing where it could kind of play out. You'll remember we talked a few weeks ago about uh, when I was kicking him, we were talking around Tim Lincecum, uh, and I said, should I trade him for Bartolo Colon straight up? I said, you know what, if that's the cost, sure, I'll do it. And Colon stunk since then. Lincecum last night uh, there, I don't know if you were at the game last night, 
when he struck out 11. He looked fantastic. You want to talk about whiff rates on pitches. The breaking balls last night were really good for him. And that was this week. Tim Lincecum is pretty much a matchup starter at this point of his career. But if this is the week that you didn't use him, I don't know what else to tell you. He had Atlanta, who cannot make contact. And he has the Marlins on the road, who stink on the road. This was the week to start Tim Lincecum. And last night, it was the best I've seen him look in quite some time. I think I would sell low on him if 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 selling low on him if that counts you know like I would sell low on him after the Marlins start and no matter what happened I would just sell him because I just don't believe in his fastball command I just feel like he's going to go on the road or against a better a more patient offense and 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 see worse days again Oh, believe me, I'm going to turn and burn him. There's, I wait for it to fluff up, and I'm going to turn and burn him. Uh, but I, I needed strikeouts, and I wasn't getting them from Cologne. And so far, I've definitely been able to get them from Lincecum. So uh, it has worked out. Let's shift into the news phase before we talk about hitters. And uh, I, Fernando's stuff already covered. Good news and bad news. Good news, Ryan Braun's off the disabled list. Bad news, Aramis Ramirez is on it. So Milwaukee still can't get together a healthy lineup. Ramirez hurt his hamstring over the weekend. Uh, Braun only needed the minimum 15 days, which is a, a good sign. You would have to think with that with the uh, intercostal muscle, they don't want to rush that because the setbacks can put you right back to square one. So they put him back into it, and, and he's back in the lineup today. Yeah, there's, unfortunately, there's not really a name to point to for behind Aramis Ramirez. And it could be the Brewers' undoing in a way is their depth, and they just I I just don't see much depth there. I mean, you know, behind Carlos Gomez in center is Logan Schaefer. Uh, you know, he and he did he's got some things you like about him, but he might be a replacement level, I guess. At third base, I don't even know. Maybe it's Bianchi or Green. I don't really. I wouldn't recommend either, even in a in a deep league, because they might hurt you and your batting average as much as help you anywhere else. So yeah, Bianchi really seems to be the one guy uh, that they that is going to play at third base. Uh, Caleb Gindel went down to the minor leagues today, and they called up. I forget the name of the other player they uh, called up, but they made another roster. Elian Herrera, uh, who is a third baseman, so maybe that's going to uh, come into play there. Herrera was hitting. Uh, 359 down in the Nashville with a three with a 513 slugging percentage down there in Nashville, which is part of the Pacific Coast League. So some of those numbers could be inflated, uh, but that's where uh, that's where they're going. Omar Infante was placed on the disabled list today uh, with a sore back. The team uh, called up Pedro Siriaco, uh, and that is of relevance because not only can he play second base, but he can also play third base. I don't know how Mike Mustakas is still in the major leagues at this point. This is an abject failure disaster of a season for him, yet he's still in the major leagues. And, and there, I mean, this would have been a clean opportunity to send him down as well, maybe bring, I don't even know what their AAA situation, but anything has to be better than him right now. Uh, but maybe once Infante comes back, maybe Moustakas has got two weeks to figure this out. Once Infante comes back, it could be it could be uh, Moustakas going down to AAA rather than Syriaco. Uh, who do they have at second? Uh, Johnny Giovatella is still up. Right. So I guess between Giovatella and Fonte and Siriaco, they could say that's that's our second and third base mix somehow. Yeah, they could uh, probably go there and, and say that's it. And Valencia. And Valencia. And Valencia is actually pretty good against lefties. So Yeah, that's, yeah. that's his calling card. He's not good defensively, but he's good against lefties uh, and can really so hang have, in there. So you have one-third of one position figured out. 
If you have three third bases, you have none. Uh, that's where uh, Carlos Beltran is going to try to avoid the disabled list. He has uh, bone spur in his elbow uh, that was detected by an MRI. He thought he hyperextended it. It turns out he's got a bone spur. They're going to try to do a cortisone shot. He uh, came out on Saturday, so he may if they need a retro, they could possibly do it to Sunday. Um, but if he needs surgery, it could knock him out for a few weeks here in the middle uh, of that situation. And that may free up. You know, if that were to happen, that could free up getting some time. We'll see how the outfield rotation plays out. But maybe that gets Ichiro Suzuki some more playing time because he's done well uh, in limited playing time for the Yankees. And, uh, and Beltron, frankly, hasn't looked that good this year. It really hasn't taken advantage of the ballpark, has been terrible in the field. Um, really needs to spend more time in DH role. Uh, Colby Rasmus is trying to avoid the disabled list. He has hamstring tightness. Uh, they did call up Kevin Pillar, uh, but they did not. They did not uh, put Rasmus on the disabled list yet. Pillar is playing tonight in that situation, so that's something to watch because Rasmus has been playing rather well. Carlos Quentin is back with the Padres. Is in the lineup tonight and is hitting cleanup. So they were uh, very anxious to get him right back in the situation, and he's been put in there. Uh, your thoughts on Quentin? But for, I mean, it's a guy we know he can produce. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy. This, this Padres team, this offense is terrible this year. I mean, they are dead last in weighted on base average at home, on the road, in Mars, in Little League parks. They can't hit anywhere this year. What do you think about Quentin? Is he going to be able to get some, uh, has put up some value while surrounded by a bunch of guys not doing anything? Um, I, I've had a hard time rostering him. I've thought of him being useful in an Adonu because Adonu has really long benches and you could use him as a platoon guy with someone that is not so great against lefties like Leonis Martin or something. So there, there are some settings where he's, uh, he's useful and, and, you know, I guess he, he can actually run into some balls and, and get some, uh, some free, free uh, walks out of his uh, body. Uh, but uh, I think that sort of thing just leads to more injuries. And I think, I don't know if this last one was anything related to, to being hit, but, you know, I just think that he has shown himself to be brittle and has shown that, you know, he also has this other skill that leads to more injuries. So I just think in general, you know, you really have to be uh, investing a very small amount in him if you want it. Yes, uh- a couple of other things. Uh, Chris Tillman is dealing with a sore groin. That may explain why he struggled against the Astros the other day. Had a supreme matchup on Sunday and, and did not do well with it. Sean Kelly has been hit on uh, put on the disabled list for the Yankees uh, with a back issue, so that really makes the back end of their bullpen a little weak. I would expect Dellen Batances to take a step up in that role, and he's pitched great. You look at what he's doing back there. Uh, he's piling up strikeouts for them and they've been they've have not hesitated to use him in the seventh so that i would expect him to pick up some more stuff in the eighth role but i've liked what i've seen from uh batons this year tyler lyons after getting shelled last night by the by the cubs has been placed on the disabled list with a strained left shoulder and they said he was hammered after getting hammered on monday the spurs now he's got a, a something a spur in his shoulder something going on so that's got him on the disabled list Devin Masarocco is on his rehab assignment now. There's a good chance he'll be back this weekend, and that's good news to get him back in the lineup because uh, he was swinging a very good bat before he got hurt. Yeah, I'm excited for his return. Uh, it, it, the Tillman it, news comes with uh, with an asterisk there. Uh-huh. Uh, Kevin Gossman is yes. coming up, and uh, I've been excited about that for a long time. 
Uh, he had focal pneumonia. We figured out that just means that it was in one lung, not both, or something like that. And, you know, I guess he feels better now. His last start, uh, almost five innings, uh, six strikeouts, no runs. So that was a good step forward for him. And then I guess, you know, I'm, I'm looking through um, Roch Kubatko's uh, Twitter feed to find out the news. And it looks like it's temporary because he's saying that um, – Gonzalez will back up Gossman tomorrow. Buck says temporary bullpen move, and Chen starts Thursday. One reason Gossman is here is that Tillman had some groin soreness, but seems to be fine now. So, but what's weird is that he's not taking Tillman's start; he's taking Miguel Gonzalez's start, which he so, should. <laughs> <laughs> and we we were never uh, really big fans of Gonzalez's. I mean, you've got you have a chance the way the AL East is playing out right now, to take a step forward with the Yankees being hurt, the Red Sox aren't playing well, the race absolutely sucking. Why not put this guy in the rotation? Why not take the surge with him? I I, I don't get it. Forget whatever service clock just drives me crazy because this guy is definitely has the talent to be up in the major leagues. He should be in there. He's pretty much, you know, I'll take Tillman, but I, then I'll take Gossman over any other pitcher in that rotation right now. Uh, Jesse, think, actually, ahead, you know, I just think that, that that what you just said means that there's a non-zero chance that they do decide to catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, if you just look at the the projections, the rest of the season projections, they look almost exactly like what he's done so far to date. Uh, maybe just a, a, a tad fewer homers, and that's actually kind of a weird thing to say because Baltimore is the is the warmest park in the league, and that may, that's what makes it such a homer friendly park. So. We haven't even gotten to the warmest part of the year, and he's giving up a, a homer and a half for nine. So I think, uh, you know, if Gossman comes out and has a great start, I mean, you're going to say, you're really going to say, no, we're going to go back to this guy with a five ERA, uh, and we're going to send Gossman back down. So I think that there's a non zero chance that something happens here. And, you know, especially for the guys, you know, who are looking for. Fernandez like upside. I mean, none of the guys that I listed, other than like you know going out and acquiring like a Homer Bailey or Corey Kluber, none of those guys have the upside to be a top two starter in your rotation. I mean, it's just not really happening right now in the in, on the waiver wires. Maybe um, a little bit later in the year when some prospects start coming up, but right now on, the, on your waiver wire, you know Gossman might be the only guy who has you know lightning in a bottle type upside. So you know I, I know that. Y- y- the the caution says to caution says that he might be back down again right after this. But you know if you're if you're doing this to 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 try and find a Fernandez replacement, you might need to throw caution to the wind a little bit and and take a chance on Gossman. Yeah, indeed. The other thing that I know everybody's been trying to figure out in a deeper AL league, just who in the heck's going to pick up saves in the Astros, uh, and people have been holding out for Jesse Crane. Um, honestly, the, the the latest update doesn't sound any more promising than anything else. Uh, Jeff Luno said today he remains hopeful that Jesse Crane will be able to be ready for a rehab assignment by the end of this month. It seems <laughs> like th- this deadline, this seems like the seventh different time that they've had to erase the date and start from scratch. I mean, there was talk about him in spring training being ready to go. And now we're in middle of May and he's still they still can't even put a a date in ink on a rehab assignment. This is, let's not forget, this guy has not thrown a major league pitch since July 2nd after coming out of the game uh, against the White, so- White Sox and was warming up for them, I believe it was versus Tampa Bay, and just uh, felt something, and then he ended up getting traded to Tampa Bay, never pitched for them, and uh, 
here you go. Again, I know people were drafting. I know Jesse Crane went in labor, I want to say in like the 16th round. Somebody was like, oh, he's going to be back. Here we are, middle of May, and we don't know when this guy's going to pitch. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Tim Lincecum is running stadiums right now. Good for him. <laughs> I was like, who is that? Uh, that's Tim Lincecum. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> sticking with the Astros, Jonathan Singleton, uh, the, the latest language from Jeff Luno says, uh, he concedes Singleton is becoming a complete player and thus a promotion to Houston could be forthcoming soon. Um I don't know, you know, Super 2 deadline maybe the issue here. But if you're going to call up Springer, why not call up Singleton uh, in this situation? But there's a good chance Singleton could be up here in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, the Astros have plenty of room in their lineup uh, for somebody of his potential. I guess maybe they don't have as much room for a first baseman as they do for an outfielder. Maybe. I don't know. They, you know, I don't know if that's really defensible. But the nice thing about Singleton is that his strikeout rate is down. I mean that's that's really what you have to you have to watch with him. I mean he had a really hard time last year with a thirty percent strikeout rate, and that would be you know you you look at what Springer's the difficulty Springer's having right now. You'd have to you'd have to think about that with single. I think you have to think about that with Singleton anyway. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very high likelihood that he's a better on base percentage league guy, uh, that his batting average is low, and you know considering that his power has been up and down in the minor leagues, I think there's a big possibility that he doesn't necessarily hit the ground running and, and hitting a ton of homers. Right. Uh, on the uh, the title lines, though, it, it's probably worth mentioning that as he hits the disabled list, uh, Jaime Garcia is likely to take his spot. Jaime Garcia had a, tr- a rehab assignment in AAA the other day, pitched five innings, gave up two runs on three hits, uh, and struck out five. Uh, through 45 strikes and 74 pitches, he's going to make one more start. Uh, and so the, the next the next turn in the rotation for Tyler uh, Lyons may be somebody else. I don't know who they're going to slide slide in there. But after that, it could very well be Jaime Garcia because he's going to have to come off his rehab assignment. They'll only have so many days uh, limited to it. Yeah, I may be the only the last Jaime Garcia fan, and I guess at this point, I'm, I, I don't know if I can really describe myself as such. But you know, there's there's some good in that arm. It just has to see if it's if it's healthy. I think he's a mixed league starter, actually. Yeah, I'm not in that camp. <laughs> That's not my. That's not my guy. Uh, let's shift over to hitters because uh, Mike Podhorzer wrote an article uh, about guys say, the other day on uh, on uh, Monday. He wrote one on home run to fly ball surgers, and then today he talked about decliners, guys who home run the fly ball rate is is high, and that he is he thinks that they're not going to be able to maintain these rates, even though uh, there are some guys that have been able to maintain higher rates, kind of like with batting average of balls in play to be able to establish their own kind of baseline. He singled out a few guys that have high rates. Uh, and the names were Albert Pujols, Colby Rasmus, Michael Brantley, Cody Ash, Mike Zanino, Brian Dozier, and Charlie Blackman. Uh, let's start with Pujols on this. On this, I mean, obviously he's looked better. The lower half of his swing looks like somebody who's not stepping on broken glass now, as he did last year. You know, if you own Pujols, ride him, sell him. What do you do? I think the injury risk is an asterisk here and you know his age and uh you know 285 batted ball distance doesn't actually it's that's that's like lot of, uh, i'm with him a little bit um he, he used to hit at 300 feet you know his fly balls and homers so he's he's down 15 20 feet from his peak um so and i i think 
maybe if you're competitive now and you just want to make it through this season and, and it'd be really hard to sell a piece like Pujols that's doing well. But if you're not competitive now uh, in any way, then I would sell right now. Colby Rasmus, uh, he mentions that the, the his batted ball distance is 280 or 290 foot range and typically the home on the fly ball rate associated with those numbers is closer to 13% than the 20% Colby Rasmus is putting up right now. Obviously, playing in Rogers Center is a huge bonus for him. Playing in AL East that has that has Camden Yards, has Yankee Stadium on the road, is a nice bonus for him. Yeah, if you are a believer in the walk year theory, this is Colby Rasmus's walk year. What do you do with him? His career home run for fly ball rate is thirteen percent. So, you know, it's not it's it's kind of weird that that just lines up like that. So. I think that there's regression coming. There's so many strikeouts in that bat right now. You know, 222 seems like a high end for his batting average. And I would project him for the rest of the season to go back to about a 25 homer pace, which would still, you know, leave him with close to 30 homers. But, it, it you know, it's all what's going to happen from here on out rather than you don't get credit for those nine homers he's hit so far. And that should be about where you drafted him. Though. I mean, I have him in, I have him in Tout Wars, and when I looked at my own projections of him, that's where I had him down. I had him down for something like that, right around uh, 24 to 26 home runs on a 260 average. So it's not like I'm going to look at something and say, oops, nope, I don't want to do that at all. Uh, I like – I'm gonna. I'm writing him out only because I, I believe in the the overall season projections. He's right in line with where I had him, so mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not terribly concerned um, there with him at that rate. Looking down, he's also got Michael Brantley, and you know the, the Cleveland offense isn't doing very well. But you look at he's already surpassed his 2012 home run mark. He's only three away from surpassing last year's home run mark. Uh, his batted ball distance is up around 10 feet, according to to Mike, uh, but. He's another guy. One of every five fly balls is leaving the yard. I mean, it, it, he, he's having a good year, and he, it'll turn out to be his career year in a matter of, I mean, not career year. I can't speak, speak for the rest of his career, but it, it'll turn out to be the best year so far of his career no matter what. And I, there's things I like about him. I like his contact rate. I think he'll put up a good batting average. You know, he steals enough bases to, you know, maybe be a 15-15 guy at the end of the season. Um, I just don't think he's going to be, a, you know, a 20. And right now he's on pace for, you know, over 30. So I, I think he'll he'll settle down and uh, maybe crack 20, but uh, no more than that. Yeah, I, I think that's about right. I don't. I've always looked at him as a. I think as, as a Pete guy, a 15 to 17 home run guy. If he hits, if he hits 20, good for him and good for Cleveland for locking him up and being ahead of the curve on that. Uh, Cody Ash has got a home run to fly ball rate of, of 19% right now. Um, and that's despite the fact that he has a fly ball rate of just 24%. We don't have a baseline for this guy because he has such limited major league exposure. But right now, uh, he's getting it done. And most of that work is recently. I mean, he wasn't doing much early on. And over the last couple of weeks is when he started kind of turning it on here. What are your thoughts about him? I kind of liked him going into the season because he's got a decent hit tool. And, you know, that's the one thing that people talked about. Uh, There's one thing that people talked about him before, you know, the one thing that he had going for him. It's kind of, you know, what he kind of reminds me a little bit is Nick Castellanos where, you know, people talk about his hit tool 
and he has decent some decent batting averages in minor leagues, but the strikeout rate is not that great. Um, so, it's, you know, that, that, that gives me a little bit of puzzle where it's like, why do you keep talking about his hit tool when, you know, he strikes out at a league average rate? You'd think that a guy with a plus hit tool would make a lot of contact. So uh, that's one thing I can't figure out in his in his line. But otherwise, you know, he's walking. He's not striking out too much. Everything's fine except for his defense, which is just atrocious. Yeah, it's it's not a not a pretty situation out there for him. But at least I know in labor, Paul and I were very close to cutting him, and we've kept him around. And he's actually in our lineup this week because uh, of somebody else getting her Aramis Ramirez we had to replace. Um, so that situation's happening. Mike Zunino, a guy that we we had uh, we lambasted it a little bit, saying he can't hit anything but fastballs, and I, I, that's still rather that still holds up rather well. But he's hitting home runs this year. When people are making a mistake on a fastball or a breaking ball, he is hitting them out, uh, despite the fact he's not doing much else. I think that lines up with what we learned about him that better breaking stuff can get him out, but he's still going to have power. So I don't think anything's too off of what we thought. You know, I, I sold him in my on base percentage league just because I didn't see the walk rates I wanted to see out of him. And I thought the strikeout rates would just press everything. And uh, that so far has been the case. And actually, you know, a three Oh four Babbitt for a catcher is, is pretty high. Is actually mm-hmm. catcher's average two eighty five as a group, right? I mean, so he has more home runs than he has walks this year, which <laughs> that to me is like what you have six home runs and you have five walks. He has five doubles, a triple, six home runs, and is striking out twenty nine percent of the time, and is still hitting two fifty five. And if this, you know, if the home runs just become fly balls, this falls apart quickly. I think it does. I think there's some fall apart, a lot of fall apart risk, and you know, the, even if the Babbitt. If it goes back down to the league average for catchers, the 285, um, you know, there you get some erosion in batting average. A couple fly balls instead of homers, you get some erosion in batting average. In real life, the team did, I think, well, even though more was expected of him. I mean, if they have Miguel Olivo, who can actually play defense, then they've got a valuable uh, piece of their uh, of the of the puzzle. But if uh, if if you were banking on more than Miguel Olivo in in your fantasy league, I think you might get a little bit uh, a little rude surprise later on in the season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Brian Dozier, over the past calendar year, Brian Dozier's hitting 245, but he's slugging 439, most of it because he has 26 home runs in the last calendar year, which is over 156 games played. 26 home runs, 24 stolen bases. So as a counting category guy, this is the guy we like because he gives us some stuff across the board, 72 runs driven in. So that's helping. The batting average is not is not helping us, but that's what he's doing. And his, his home run to fly ball rate over the calendar year is 12.6%. Going into today for 2014, his home run to fly ball rate is 18.4%. Um, this is a guy who tend to, tends to do it in spurts where he has a lot of, lot of them and then nothing happens. Where do you see him? Do you just enjoy – because this is also – if you look at a list of – if I were to tell you, you know – there's two players in baseball right now that have at least five home runs and at least 10 stolen bases this year. One of them is Brian Dozier. Who is the other one? Uh, is it Blackman? It is Jonathan Villar. Oh, wow. It's not Mike Trout. It's not Charlie Blackman. It is Jonathan Villar. Those are the two players 
That's it. That are that are doing this right now. Uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised that Villar didn't make uh, Podhorzer's list. I don't know what his numbers are off the top, but you know he's hitting these bombs and he's stealing these bases. We drafted him for steals, but what Dozier's doing right now is exactly what we drafted him for. We knew he had 20 home run potential. We knew he, we knew that he could steal 20 bases, but and we didn't think he'd hit over 250. But he's on pace. He's on pace to do that. He's on pace to get his 20 steals because already he has 12 this year and he's got the nine home runs. So the, the 20 home runs is definitely within reach. Even if he only hits 11 the rest of the way, he's got it. He's got 12 steals already. Again, if he get, if only steals eight, he's got it. So he's well on pace to get to the 2020 that he was projected to get while he's hitting 238, which is about what we thought he'd hit. And in a case like this, do you say, okay, I, I, he's got me... 60% of the way to what I projected. Let's just move on and see what I can get for him. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm in um, a sort of situation like that in, in, in labor right now where I, I just picked up Danny Salazar. And if Danny Salazar takes as the shortstop in um, Minnesota, I'll have Salazar, Miller, Dozier, and Kipnis. And... I'll have somebody, you know, on the, sitting on the outside, and Dozier would be the guy who would get me the most back. Um, and I and I and I definitely don't, uh, I definitely don't count on thirty home runs from him or anything. I don't count on sort of pacing this stuff out because power comes in bursts like that, and that's why it takes forever for power to stabilize. So I'm not, I'm not counting on that. But it's also really hard for me to trade one of my productive, most productive hitters. Um, right now. So unless I really got a nice outfielder back, and I'm going to start trade talks right now for for an outfielder back for either a starting pitcher or a middle infielder, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I it's so tempting. I mean, one thing that you start doing things like, well, you know, I won't get the homers, but maybe the batting average could be better because his infield fly ball rate is the best of his career, and that might be close to stable and. You know, his line drive rate, you know, could actually be better according to what he's done in the past. So maybe his BABIP can go up. I mean, a 245 BABIP is pretty bad. So what if he can get that up even to 280? Maybe he can hit 250, 260. And, you know, so there's like all these games you play with yourself when you have a guy who's doing well but could be doing a little bit better. It's not it's not necessarily a Charlie Blackman thing where you're like, well, even if he does well, He's not going to be doing as well as he's doing now. <laughs> yeah, the thing with Dozier, if you look at his yep. his contact rate is the same as it was last year. His out-of-zone contact uh, swing rate, his O-swing, is actually better this year than it was last year. But his batting average is pretty much right in line with where it was last year. The batting average on balls in play is 34 points lower than it was last year, despite better skills at the plate. So, I mean, there's... I think there's a little bit of upside left. It'll come in a different fashion. Maybe it'll come in an on-base percentage. I mean, it'll come in batting average instead of on-base percentage or, um, you know, a couple more runs in RBI or something like that. So, um, you know, I'm hoping for Danny Santana to take off and, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see what I'll, what I'll actually sell. Uh, do you have, do you have any opinions on Danny Santana actually? I don't, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have, I don't have enough of a, an opinion uh, to uh, to make a judgment call there, but that is uh, I know there's a, a few situations going on uh, with them. They're looking. At, I saw a note about him about Gardenhire wanting to give him extra playing time and, and give him a chance and see what happens with him. Uh, seems like they're willing to give him a chance because obviously oh, wow. nothing else is working out well for them there. Turns out 
the thing you're thinking of is that they might actually play him some in center field. That's right. So, yeah, for Hicks, that's the note. That's the note I saw because they were saying you know, center field hasn't played itself out well. So you know, if, if we want to give this guy some playing time, so if they're willing to move him around to get him playing time, that's a good sign for keeping him up. Yeah, and that's a great sign for me because I might have my outfielder. But it's always so hard <laughs> to trade. I'd rather just pick one up. Uh, the the thing I would say about Santana in the, in the synopsis is that he has the upside to you know not walk but make a decent amount of contact and you know have your sort of 270 uh you know 310 speedster uh kind of line and then the downside is that the the bad strikeout rates you've seen from him in the past are true and he's more of a 240 230 290 um you know speed and defense probably replacement um you know fourth outfielder fifth infielder type situation so um i i there's that's a pretty low floor and it's a pretty low ceiling so he's definitely a deep leaguer um something a comment somebody left from the last podcast somebody uh wanted our opinions on a couple of guys going forward garrett richards or nate eovaldi which one would you want going forward i like garrett richards breakers more he has two breakers to eovaldi's one and Ivaldi is in the weaker league with a better home park. That's really tough. Get I off the I'm... fence. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'll take Ivaldi. I'll take Richards. Uh, Andrew Kashner or Homer Bailey? Homer Bailey, just because Kashner has admitted, you know, in that piece I did, and just in general, you can see it, he's admitted that he's trading strikeouts for grounders. And that means that Bailey's going to have a higher upside in terms of strikeouts. I agree with you on Bailey for that reason and the run support issue because Andrew Kashner is getting none of it. Uh, Adamal Sanchez or Hisashi Iwakuma? Iwakuma. I believe. I just. I believe that his injury, his potential for injury, is lower just because that was a finger thing, whereas Animal had a shoulder thing. I agree with you. Plus, Seattle's is quietly getting better. James Jones is, is making a difference. He actually gives them a legitimate center fielder out there. I mean, they were rolling out uh, Almonte out there. He wasn't getting it done. Uh, and that gives them a, a good situation with a guy who's a fly ball guy like that with Iwakuma. Uh, having that kind of player out in center fielder is going to make a difference for them. Uh, and I've always loved Iwakuma, and uh, I was always going to pick him no matter what here in that situation. Uh, so that's that was from a player to be named who had asked us about that in the comment section about that. I know I got to get rolling. I'm sure you got have to, so you can get down to your player interviews for that. So that's it for this podcast. We should be recording on Thursday. I don't have the conflict this week that I had last week. So we should be recording any final thoughts, but no, thanks for listening guys. All right. Thanks guys.